Section one of Clever Hans, the horse of Mr. Von Osten. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Clever Hans, the horse of Mr. Von Osten, a contribution to experimental animal and human psychology by Oscar Pfungst, with an introduction by Professor C. Stumpf and one illustration and fifteen figures. Translated from the German by Karl L. Grahn, fellow in psychology in the University of Chicago, with a prefatory note by James R. Angel, professor of psychology in the University of Chicago. Prefatory note by James R. Angel, the University of Chicago. It gives me great pleasure to accept the invitation of the publishers to write a word of introduction for Mr. Rahn's excellent translation of De Kluge Hans a book which in the original has been but little known to american readers the present wave of interest in animal life and behaviour renders its appearance peculiarly appropriate no more remarkable tale of credulity found on unconscious deceit was ever told and were it offered as fiction it would take high rank as a work of imagination being in reality a record of sober fact it verges on the miraculous after reading Mr. Funk's story, one can quite understand how sedate and sober Germany was for months thrown into a turmoil of newspaper debate, which for intensity and range of feeling finds its only parallel in a heated political campaign. That the subject of the controversy was the alleged ability of a trained horse to solve complex arithmetical problems may excite gaiety and even derision until one hears the details scientists and scholars of the highest eminence were drawn into the conflict which has not yet wholly subsided although the present report must be regarded as quite final in its verdict as for hans himself he has become the prototype of a host of less distinguished imitators representing every level of animal life and when last heard from he was still entertaining mystified audiences by his accomplishments but the permanent worth of the book is not to be found in its record of popular excitement interesting as that is it is a document of the very first consequence in its revelation of the workings of the animal mind as disclosed in the horse animal lovers of all kinds whether scientists or laymen will find in it material of the greatest value for the correct apprehension of animal behaviour moreover it affords an illuminating insight into the technique of experimental psychology in its study both of human and animal consciousness finally it contains a number of highly suggestive observations bearing on certain aspects of telepathy and muscle reading all things considered it may fairly be said that few scientific books appeal to so various a range of interests in so vital a way readers who wish to inform themselves of all the personal circumstances in the case may best read the text just as it stands those who desire to get at the pith of the matter without reference to its historical settings may be advised to admit the introduction by professor stumpf of the university of berlin together with supplements two three and four introduction by c stumpf a horse that solves correctly problems in multiplication and division by means of tapping persons of unimpeachable honour who in the master's absence have received responses and assure us that in the process they have not made even the slightest sign thousands of spectators horse fanciers trick trainers of the first rank 
and not one of them during the course of many months' observations are able to discover any kind of regular signal. That was the riddle, and its solution was found in the unintentional minimal movements of the horse's questioner. Simple though it may seem, the history of the solution is nevertheless quite complex, and one of the important incidents in it is the appearance of the zoologist and African traveller Shillings upon the scene, and then there is the report of the so-called Hans Commission of September 12, 1904, and finally there is the scientific investigation, the results of which were published in my report of December 9, 1904. After a cursory inspection during the month of February, I again called upon Mr. Von Austen in July and asked him to explain to Professor Schumann and me just what method he had used in instructing the horse. We hoped in this way to gain a clue to the mechanism of Hans's feats. The most essential parts of the information thus gleaned are summarised in Supplement 1. Mr. Schillings came into the courtyard for the first time about the middle of July. He came as sceptical as everyone else. But after he, himself, had received correct responses, he too became convinced, and devoted much of his time to exhibiting the horse, and daily brought new guests. To be perfectly frank, at this time it seemed to us a disturbing factor in the investigation, but now we see that his intervention was a link in the chain of events which finally led to an explanation for it was through him that the fact was established beyond cavil that the horse was able to respond to strangers in the master's absence heretofore this had been noted only in isolated cases since it could not be assumed that a well-known investigator should take it upon himself to mislead the public by intentionally giving signs the case necessarily from that time on appeared in the eyes of others in a light quite different from that in which ordinary circus tricks would appear to which it bore such a striking external resemblance no matter how this state of affairs might have arisen in the course of years no matter how it might eventually be explained the quality of the extraordinary would necessarily attach itself to this particular case as it did of course to many persons in the interested public the result was merely that shillings also was placed in the category of deceivers on the other hand, there were reputable scientists who could not dispose of the matter in that fashion, and these now openly took their stand with shillings and declared that they believed in the horse's ability to think. Zoologists especially saw in von Osten's results evidence of the essential similarity between the human and the animal mind, which doctrine has been coming more and more into favour since the time of Darwin. Educators were disposed to be convinced, on account of the clever systematic method of instruction which had been used and which had not, till then, been applied in the education of a horse. In addition, there were many details which, it seemed, could not be explained in any other way. So far as I myself was concerned, I was ready to change my views with regards to the nature of animal consciousness as soon as a careful examination would show that nothing else would explain the facts, except the assumption of the presence of conceptual thinking. I had thought out the process hypothetically, i.e., how one might conceive of the rise of number concept and arithmetic calculation along the peculiar lines which had been followed in Hans's education, and on the basis of the assumption that the beginnings of conceptual thinking are present in animals, 
Also, I had too much faith in human nature to fear lest nothing peculiarly human should remain after the art of handling numbers should be shown to be common property with the lower forms. But under no circumstances would I have undertaken to make a public statement in favour of any particular view in this extraordinary case before a thorough investigation, in accordance with scientific principles, had been made. I expressed this sentiment at the time and recommended the appointment of an investigating commission in the TAG of September 3rd, 1904. The purpose of this commission was misunderstood and therefore many were disappointed with the report which it published, Supplement 2. Some had been expecting a positive, conclusive explanation. The commission recommended further investigation. Some had asked for a solution of the question whether or not the horse was able to think. The commission maintained neither the one nor the other. Some had indicated as the main condition of a satisfactory investigation that both Mr. Von Austen and Mr. Schillings be excluded from the tests. This was not done. But the commission, which by the way did not give itself this name, since it had been delegated by no one, undoubtedly had the right to formulate its problem as it saw fit, and this was carefully expressed at the beginning of its report as follows. The undersigned came together for the purpose of investigating the question whether or not there is involved in the feats of the horse of Mr. Von Austen anything of the nature of tricks, that is, intentional influence or aid on the part of the questioner. It was this preliminary question, not whether or not the horse could think, which the commission intended to answer. They proposed to act as a sort of court of honour for the two gentlemen who had been attacked. It is only in this light that even the raison d'etre of this body can be understood. For a scientific commission composed of thirteen men, possessed of varying degrees of scientific preparation, would have been an absurd travesty, and it will readily be seen why the two men, who had been attacked, should not be excluded, since it was they, and primarily Mr. Von Austen, upon whom the observations were to be made. To be sure, the Commission did go one step beyond that which it had proposed to itself, since it added that it believed that unintentional signs of the kind which are present familiar were also excluded. This led many to the unwarranted conclusion that the Commission had declared that Hans was able to think, whereas the thing that might have been logically suggested was that instead of the assumption of the presence of independent thinking, the Commission may have had in mind unintentional signs of a kind hitherto unknown. I explained this to a reporter of the Frankfurter Zeitung, Mr. A. Gold, who had come to me for information, and in his article he made this hypothesis appear as the most probable one. Footnote. Frankfurter Zeitung of September 22, 1904. Concerning the question whether the horse was given some sort of aid, Professor Stumpf expressed himself freely. He said, We were careful to state in our report that the intentional use of the actual means of training on the part of the horse's teacher is out of the question, nor are there involved any of the known kinds of unconscious, involuntary aids. Our task was completed after we had ascertained that no tricks or aids of the traditional sort were being employed. After some remarks on unconscious habituation and self-training on the part of animals, the writer arrives at the conclusion that 
the horse of Mr. Van Osten has been educated by its master in the most roundabout way, in accordance with a method suited for the development of human reasoning powers, hence in all good faith to give correct responses by means of tapping with the foot. But what the horse really learned by this wearisome process was something quite different, something that was more in accord with his natural capacities. He learned to discover by purely sensory aids which are so nearly the threshold that they are imperceptible for us and even for the teacher when he is expected to tap his foot and when he is to come to rest. End of footnote. Certain statements of the circus manager Bush who speaks of a connection of some sort, go to show that other members of the commission held to the view just stated. But how did it come to pass that the commission should deny completely the presence of intentional signals, while, as regards the unintended, it excluded only those which were of the known sort? The report clearly shows that the decision as to the absence of voluntary signals was based not merely upon the fact that no such signals had been detected by the most expert observers, but also upon the character of the two men who exhibited the horse, upon their behaviour during the entire period, and upon the method of instruction which Mr. Von Osten had employed. In the case of unintentional signs, on the other hand, one had to deal with the fact with which physiologists and experimental psychologists are especially familiar, namely, that our conscious states, without our willing it, indeed even in spite of us, are accompanied by bodily changes which very often can be detected only by the use of extremely fine graphic methods. The following is a more general instance. Every mother who detects the lie or divines the wish in the eyes of the child, knows that there are characteristic changes of facial expression which are, nevertheless, very difficult of definition. Footnote. From the productions of the thought readers, we see how slight and seemingly insignificant the unconscious movements may be, which serve as signs for a sensitive reagent but in this case no contact is necessary. There would have to be some sort of visible or audible expression on the part of the questioner. No proof for this has yet been advanced. How anyone possessing the power of logical thought could possibly infer from these words of mine, published in the above-mentioned article in the TAG, that I denied the possibility of the occurrence of visual signs is to me incomprehensible. What I did deny, and still deny, is that up to that time any had been proven to occur. End of footnotes. The Commission did not even maintain or believe that unintentional signs within the realm of the senses known to us were to be excluded. Professor Nagel and I would never have subscribed to any such conclusion. The sentence in question, therefore, could only be interpreted as follows, that signals of the kind that are used intentionally in the training of horses could not have occurred even as unintended signs, for otherwise Mr. Bush would have detected them. And in order to be observed by him, it was immaterial whether they were given purposely or not. The same signs, therefore, which as a result of his observations were declared not to be present, could not be assumed to be involved as unintentional. 
For my part, I am ready to confess that at this time I did not expect to find the involuntary signals, if any such were involved, in the form of movements. I had in mind, rather, some sort of nasal whisper such as had been invoked by the Danish psychologist A. Lehmann in order to explain certain cases of so-called telepathy. I could not believe that a horse could perceive movements which escaped the sharp eye of the circus manager. To be sure, extremely slight movements may still be perceived after objects at rest have become imperceptible, but one would hardly expect this feat on the part of an animal, who was so deficient in keenness of vision, as we have been led, by those of presumably expert knowledge to believe of the horse. One would expect it all the less because Mr. Von Austen and Mr. Shillings would move hither and thither in most irregular fashion while the horse was going through his tapping, and would therefore make the perception of minute movements all the more difficult. Nor was there anything in the exhibitions given at the same time in a Berlin vaudeville by the Mayor Rosa, which might have shattered this belief. For, in the case of this rival of Hans, the movements involved were comparatively coarse. The closing signal consisted in bending forward on the part of the one exhibiting the mare, while up to that point he had stood bolt upright. Most persons were not aware of this, because this change in posture cannot be noticed from the front. I happened to sit to the side, and caught the movement every time. It was the same that was noted by Dr. Meisner, another member of the commission see page 256, but concerning which he did not give me a more complete account. Later I learned through Professor T. H. W. Engelman that the very same movement was employed not long ago for giving signals to a dog exhibited at Utrecht. This particular movement is very well adapted to commercial purposes, since the spectator always tries to view the performance from a point as nearly in front of the animal and its master as possible, thus making the detection of the trick all the more difficult. The details of the various experiments made by this commission are given in an excerpt from the records kept by Dr. von Hornbostel which I showed to a small group of persons a few days after the 12th of September, Supplement 3. At that time, none of the particulars was published, because the Commission wished to wait until some positive statement might be made. The public was merely to be assured that a group of reputable men from different spheres of life, who could have no purpose in hazarding their reputation, believed that the case was one worthy of careful investigation. I left Berlin on September 17th and did not return until October 3rd. In the meantime, Mr. Schillings continued the investigation and was assisted in part by Mr. Oscar Funkst, one of my co-workers at the Psychological Institute. For the first time, a number of tests were now made in which neither the questioner nor any of those present knew the answer to the problem. Such tests naturally were the first steps towards a positive investigation. The results were such that Mr. Schillings was led to replace his hypothesis of independent conceptual thinking by one of some kind of suggestion. In this he was strengthened somewhat by having noted the fact that in his questions which he had put to the horse he might proceed as far as to ask the impossible. He has always been ready to offer himself in the tests which have been undertaken since then. On October 13, 1904, together with the two gentlemen mentioned in the beginning of my report, 
I began my more detailed investigation and finished on November 29th. We worked for several hours on the average of four times each week. I take this opportunity of giving expression of the recognition which is due to the two gentlemen. They were ready to go to the courtyard in all kinds of weather, at times they went without me, and they always patiently discussed the order and method of the experiments and the results. Dr. von Hornbostel had the important task of keeping the record, and Mr. Funks undertook the conduct of the experiments. It was he who, soon after the blinder tests disclosed the necessary presence of visual signs, discovered the nature of these signs. Without him, we might have shown the horse to be dependent on visual stimuli in general, but we never would have been able to gain that mass of detail which makes the case valuable for human psychology. But I am tempted to praise not merely his patience and skill, but also his courage. For we must not believe that Mr. Von Austin's horse was a perfectly gentle animal. If he stood untied and happened to be excited by some sudden occurrence, he would make that courtyard an unsafe place, and both Mr. Schillings and Mr. Funkst suffered from more than one bite. In this connection, I would also express my obligations to Count Otto zu Kastel Rudenhausen for his frequent intercessions on our behalf with the owner of the horse, and for his many evidences of goodwill and helpfulness. After the publication of this report, Supplement 4, there was still some further discussion of the case in societies of various kinds and in the press, but no important objections were raised. A hypologist thought that men of his calling should have been consulted. A telepathist believed that telepathists should have been called in. There was also some further talk of suggestion, will transference, thought reading and the occult, but no attempt was made to elucidate these vague terms with reference to their application to the case in hand. Others adhered to the old cry of fraud, for a share of which Mr. Funks now fell heir. There were a few who felt it incumbent upon themselves to preserve their priority, and therefore stated with a show of satisfaction that I had finally confessed myself to hold their respective points of view as if there were anything like confessions in science, as if mere affirmations, even though sealed and deposited in treasure vaults, had any value with reference to a case in which every manner of supposition had been advanced in lieu of explanation. Why did they wait so long, if they had convincing proof for their position? And finally, there were disappointed Darwinists who expressed fear lest ecclesiastical and reactionary points of view should derive favourable material from the conclusions arrived at in my report. Needless fear. For lovers of truth it must always remain a matter of inconsequence whether anyone is pleased or displeased with the truth, and whether it is enunciated by Aristotle or Heckel. Mr. von Austen, however, continued to exhibit Hans, and is probably doing so still, but in what frame of mind I dare not judge. The spectators continue to look on, they are doubly alert to catch movements, and many of them have learned from Mr. Schillings what kind of movements they are to expect, but these initiated ones regularly return and declare that there is nothing in the movements, and that they simply could not discover any aids given to the horse. 
nothing can so well show how difficult the case is and how great the need of a thorough exposition of the whole matter than the account given in the following pages by mr fungst its publication has been delayed on account of the additional tests made in the laboratory but we have reason to suppose that through these additional tests the work has gained its permanent value experimental psychologists will perhaps be greatly interested in the graphic registration of the minute involuntary movements which accompany the thought process and in the artificial association of the given involuntary movements with a given idea likewise the tests on sense perception in horses which have led to essential changes in hitherto current views and the critical review of the comprehensive literature on similar achievements in other animals will be welcomed by many before closing these introductory remarks i would make one more statement concerning mr von austen the reader will notice that the judgment passed upon him in this treatise is placed at the end whereas in the report of the commission it came first this was brought about by the change that was made in the way of stating the problem then the question discussed was whether tricks were involved now the question is what is the mechanism of the process the question of the good faith of the master was taken up once more only because the facts that were brought to light by the later experimentation seemingly brought forth new grounds for distrust but by placing this discussion towards the end of our report we wished to indicate that everything that it said of the present status of facts is quite independent of the view taken concerning mr von austen even assuming that the horse had been purposely trained by him to respond to this kind of signal the case would still deserve a place in the annals of science for visual signs planned and practised so that they could not only be more readily perceived by the animal than by man but could be transferred from their inventor to others without any betrayal of the secret this would be an extraordinary invention and mr von austen would then be a fraud but also a genius of first rank in truth he probably was neither but i was brief in my report for otherwise i would have been obliged to go into more detail than the case warranted and a judgment passed upon a human personality is quite a different matter from a judgment upon a horse if it is unscientific to make unqualified statements concerning a horse after the performance of only a few experimental tests it is certainly an unwarranted thing to pass a moral judgment upon a man upon the basis of meagre material anyone who would assume the role of judge should bear in mind that here too we have more than a hundredfold the material which they could bring forward and among it some which if taken alone would be more unfavourable than any that they had but here all things should be weighed together and not in isolation a former instructor of mathematics in a german gymnasium a passionate horseman and hunter extremely patient and at the same time highly irascible liberal in permitting the use of the horse for days at a time and again tyrannical in the insistence upon foolish conditions clever in his method of instruction and yet at the same time possessing not even the slightest notion of the most elementary conditions of scientific procedure all this and more goes to make up the man he is fanatic in his conviction he has an eccentric mind which is crammed full of theories from the phrenology of gaul to the belief that the horse is capable of inner speech and thereby enunciates inwardly the number as it proceeds with the tapping 
From theories such as these, and on the basis of all sorts of imagined emotional tendencies in the horse, he also managed to formulate an explanation for the failure of the tests in which none of the persons present knew the answer to the problem given the horse, and also for the failure of those tests in which the large blinders were applied and he would often interfere with or hinder other tests which, according to his point of view, were likely to lead us astray. And yet, when the first tests with the blinders did turn out as unmistakably sheer failures, there was such genuine surprise, such tragicomic rage directed against the horse, that we finally believed that his views in the matter would be changed beyond a doubt. The gentleman must admit, he said at the time, that after seeing the objective success on my efforts at instruction, I was warranted in my belief in the horse's power of independent thought. Nevertheless, upon the following day, he was as ardent an exponent of the belief in the horse's intelligence as he had ever been. And finally, after I could no longer keep from him the results of our investigation, I received a letter from him in which he forbade further experimentation with the horse. The purpose of our inquiries, he said, had been to corroborate his theories. On account of his withdrawal of the horse, a few experimental series unfortunately could not be completed, but happily the major portion of our task had been accomplished. End of section one. Recording by Jordan Watts, Oxfordshire.